Welcome to the Herald Express Talker United Yellow Army podcast, brought to you weekly by Guy Henderson and Richard Hughes. We'll be talking about everything that you ever wanted to know about Talker United. Uh, you can find us in the Talker United channel on the Devon Live website, or you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Welcome to another Yellow Army podcast, all the best news from Talking United coming your way. A podcast where we'll be talking quite a bit about Franco Farrell this week. Uh, Franco Farrell, one of the great figures in the history of Talking United, who died this week. Now, we're slightly separated. I'm here in the painting studio, but two gentlemen <laughs> are sitting on a screen in front of me over there in Babacom for uh, reasons which I will explain. Uh, Richard and David, welcome again. Hello, hello. Good morning, good morning. Good to be here. Always good to have you along. And uh, David, obviously, you've, um, you've, you've worked with Frank O'Farrell for a great deal longer than we did. So we'll talk a little bit about Frank a little bit later on. By all uh, means. I'm over here, but I'm over here. I, I'm isolating ahead of a hospital visit tomorrow. So um, I, I'm all PCR'd up and I can't come and sit with you, which is, um, which is a great shame. So that's why I'm remote today. Um, but you two guys are uh, are in the same place, uh, sharing the coffee over the kitchen table. Richard, you've had a chat with Gary this week. I have. Um, I had a chat with him on Tuesday uh, for for the Herald Express, and a good chat was too. So I recorded that, and that's what we can listen to. He talks about um, the sending off, the injury situation, and um, about Kings Lynn. Excellent. Let's have a listen to that. Let's hear what the gaffer has to say. And we'll be back to talk about uh, about Franco Farrell and much else on the other side of Gary Johnson. Hi, Gary. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, how do you assess uh, the, the, the four draws in a row? Uh, no one wants four draws in a row, but some of them have been good ones, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, we, in all intents and purposes, we... You know, it was two good draws, really, I suppose. No, as you say, there's not a never a good draw. Yeah. But if we'd have, you know, beat Wiltstone, which we did, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, obviously, the Barnet game was a poor draw, and we was um, two nil up, and ended up, you know, two two. So, you know, that was disappointing. If we'd have won both of those, then obviously the two draws would have been decent results against teams that are going well. Um, I think. Our, a part, a lot of our game is okay at the minute. Mm. You know, we mm. just, uh, we see it against Bromley that we, we kept possession more. Um, we had more sort of like final third uh, entries. Um, we're just not getting that little bit of luck inside the penalty area where it's actually falling for us. You know, yeah. Um, Strikers are, you know, we did get in this. A lot of times, but um, you know, Bromley've got the like big, strong defenders, and we needed something to go in. That keeps made a great save from Connor's header, um, you know, and we had other chances as well. Looking at the review, um, you know, we, we we dictated the game. Yeah. Um, so there's there's lots of good things, and and what you'd hope is that you know someone's going to get it at some stage yeah absolutely um as far as you know scoring you know two three four we don't know when um but we just got to keep going and keep the lads nobody could say that the lads didn't put a hundred percent effort into all those games yeah you know i haven't seen one dissenting voice about 
you know, we didn't try or, you know, people were uh, not up for it, all that sort of thing. The lads are, are, they are definitely up for it. And, you know, we just need that end product now uh, of scoring a goal. Um, and we need to get a couple of wins on the trot uh, some stage during March. So since you, you talked about a couple of months ago about um, the system where you use ticks, you get the players to tick where they've done well and double tick if that's laid yeah. onto something. I've, I've kind of had that in my mind when I've been watching games on Saturday. I kept on thinking, well, there's a tick, there's a tick, there's a tick. So yeah. that shows something, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, well, we want the we want the tick with the ring round it. That's it, um, the ring round it, mean, yeah. Yeah, which means that that was an assist to a goal yeah. or it was an assist that should have been a goal. And they're the ones we want. You know, we don't want to pass teams to death and not have any shots. Yeah. Um, you know, we got, we, you know, we're trying to get our whole philosophy is about forward flow. Um, and then, you know, as you say, it's the ticks and crosses. And it, it, yes, it's good if, you know, someone's a major contribution. Um, but we need that assist at the minute where that ball... Yeah, it was our final ball as well against yeah. um, Bromley. Yeah. But we just couldn't find that last pass that, that gave somebody an easy goal, for instance. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a lot of good runners and, and we had the right ideas of sliding it in between defenders and getting runners in. Um, but it was either just too hard or not quite hard enough or you know, didn't, didn't quite make the intended target. So... Um, but, but you know, we, you know, of course, as you can imagine, we've been working on that for for a couple of weeks, and uh, it doesn't always come the day after you worked on it. <laughs> so Absolutely, yeah. But yeah. we got it. In, in, but you know, again, that sometimes just takes a, a that sometimes takes a little bit of luck. Do you know what I mean? And it, it's a bad ball, and somebody miscontrols it, and we get in and score. Mm. You know, so it's. Uh, um, we need that as well, and we certainly haven't had that. Uh, so we, we do a lot of luck at the minute. <laughs> Absolutely. What, what's the, the state of the squad ahead of Kings Lynn? Uh, there, were, there were a few injuries, weren't there? Uh, I think Marnie came off and Ace has been, been out. Yeah, well, Ace, um, you know, he, he had to have an injection um, that, that needs to settle down. And, okay. You know, it's just waiting for that to settle down. Um, so there's always a possibility. Armani had a dead leg, right? So you know we've all had them in our sporting <laughs> careers, and uh, yeah. they, they can take two days or ten days. Yeah. You know, so but he's pretty comfortable at the moment. Um, and then um, who else? Uh, Dan Martin's not a million miles away. Okay, good. Dan, Dan Armand's not a million miles away. So as we speak, it's like Tuesday. Yeah, and, uh, I'm not gonna. You know, yeah, <laughs> every every day's, you know, it's how they how they wake up in the, the next morning. Like, yeah, you know, so, we've been bitten, we've treat. been bitten by giving a clean bill of health before, haven't we? So, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Gary, um, just Kings Lynn obviously are struggling this season. They are one of those those few teams that you know you would you would expect to beat. But uh, so, what what kind of challenge does that give you? You know expectation going into the game well just what you said I mean the, 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 the challenge is beating somebody that everyone's expecting you to beat yeah, you yeah. know what I mean now the, the thing is with Kings Lynn is that uh, I think I heard their the manager say yesterday that they've uh, 
in twelve in the last twelve games at half time they've they've been been either winning or drawing. Yeah. So they're obviously fast starters. Yeah. Um, um, so you know we just got to be aware of, of of what they do. Why are they fast starters? That sort of stuff. Uh, we got to uh, you know uh, try and get that out of the way. Um, so if we're still nil nil after half an hour, then we'd have done well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I don't want yeah. people moaning about me saying that. No, we're, obviously we want to get goals as early as we can and maybe spoil that run for them. Um, but they obviously uh, uh, are thinking of the same. Now they're they're not relegated. Um, you know they're down there and they need to put a very good run together um, to to get out of it. Yeah. But um, obviously while they're you know while they're still in it, they're gonna keep competing they're not going to be given up so we it's a, it's a tough game but I always say that about all games because yeah. you can go into any game at this level <clears throat> because all, a lot of their lads have played in the football league you know so you can't ever go into these games just you know because they've had a sort of poor season um, you know from their league position um, you, you can't underestimate these teams because they've all got something on their day yeah, absolutely. Um, just just to change uh, quickly, uh, Torquay lost a, a legend this week in Franco Farrell. Did you ever meet the man? No, I didn't. I mean, obviously, I, I know he was a legend. Yeah. Uh, he was a legend at other places as well, of yeah. course. But um, no, I didn't. Um, but, you know, obviously, when someone like that passes away, you, you, you feel with the family and that. And uh, what I do know about him, he was a fantastic football man. You know, he was a real football man. And, uh, uh, you know, probably right up until his last day. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, from the podcast, we uh, send our condolences to the family. Gary, thank exactly. you very much. Um, good luck Saturday. Thanks, mate. Another step Appreciate closer it. to promotion. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah that would be lovely. Yeah. Well, we've got to take, take a couple of steps uh, towards promotion. And yeah. If we can get them in early and get back to our two points again, then... Uh, and we'll see what happens from that. Good to hear from Gary. Plenty to talk about, plenty to discuss from that uh, that Bromley game, which uh, I think we all kind of enjoyed in a strange sort of way. We've got dogs joining us, Richard, today. We have. Um, they're, uh, they're, my wife's out, my mother's out, so it's a case of uh, we're looking after the dogs while, po- while podding today. So if there's any barking, which there was uh, just before Fabulous. the interview, we apologise. Right. Lads, let's move on to that Bromley game then. Um, red card or not a red card? What do you think? Oh, it's a red card. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, and in the instant, I think um, all of our all of our thoughts was, yes, that's a red card. Um, uh, Gary Alexander had managed by hook or by crook to turn um, Joe Lewis and Joe Lewis pulled him back. Um, and then in the interviews after the game, when Gary didn't challenge that decision, but raised the possibility that Dean Moxie might have got across and provided some cover. And at the time, I, I thought, really? You know? And then, of course, if you actually watch the replay of it, I can see that Gary had a bit of a point. I think it would have been stretching it, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility yeah. that Moxie might well have got across. Now, that's not to say that if, you, if, we, if us three or any of the, our listeners were in the referee's boots... Yeah that we still wouldn't have sent Lewis off. Um, uh, but <laughs> G- Gary had a bit of a point. He, he mentioned that in, in yeah. the chat that I had with him on Tuesday. Um, 
um, about the fact that, that, that <laughs> was he really the last man? But, you know, at that split second, and I'm not going to say that the referee had a great game because he didn't. There was, there was other points to his, his, his uh, officiating that were, were pretty poor, I thought. But that split second, to me, the first thing I thought was that's a red card. Yeah. And, and that's what the referee has to do as well. We, we, we'll see a lot worse decisions than that. And yeah. We have done already well, this we season, done, and we'll yeah. see a, a, a lot more. And it yeah. was a shame because Lewis has been in such fantastic form and still will be after after this is over. Uh, I think the sun played a bit of an issue. He, he did tell me afterwards that the, that the sun got in his eyes a little bit as it was dropping. Um, uh, and the wind as well. The wind held the ball up, didn't it, I think, a little bit. And, and he was trying to challenge over the top of, of, of Alexander. Didn't quite make there. Alexander was quite clever. He's been playing very well for Bromley this season. Uh, and the rest is history. And um, from then on, uh, uh, it became one of those... Is a draw a point, two points lost, or a point gained? And I think at the end, the, the crowd gave their verdict on that, yeah, didn't they? They, yeah. they? they stuck with the team. They could see how hard everybody was working to make up for that lost man. And at the end, a bit like Boreham Wood, the Boreham Wood draw, um, it, uh, the, the reception at the end spoke for itself, I think. I've just split the dogs up. I think you're right. I think it was, it was a point gained. It was a decent game of football, I thought. I thought Torquay gave as good as they got. Um, there weren't very many chances either end. But uh, Torquay played well, and you, only, you, you wonder what they could have done if they'd kept 11 players on the field. Absolutely. Um, I thought Ben Winter had one of his best games of the season um, at centre-back. Uh, Dean Moxie, we've touched on that, haven't we, in the recent yeah. weeks? Could probably play till he's 50, carrying yeah. on like that. Sean McDonald had another very good game. Very, very important in, save in, at the end. In, in goal. Um, my goodness, they're a big side, Bromley, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> um, and, and they got bigger as they came off the bench as well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all in all, look, in this run of four draws, which we've you know, all been talking about, haven't we? Look... The points against Borehamwood and Bromley were points gained. The damage, if you want to call it that, was done against Barnet and Wheelstone, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and uh, United are now heading into a little run, which includes Kingslin, Weymouth, and uh, Kingslin away, Weymouth at home, Aldershot at home, sorry, the other way around, Aldershot, Weymouth, with Halifax away thrown in. And United cannot afford to drop points against Kingslin, Weymouth, and Aldershot, Aldershot and Weymouth. As they did do against Barnet and Wheelstone, if they want, to, yeah. if they want to still have a bit of a shout of getting into the playoffs. I, I said to Gary, I think it was last week or the week before, but such fine margins in these games, isn't it? Um, a missed shot at the end by Dick McKenna, yeah. um, a save by, you know, McDonald at the end, and, and the, the games can, you know, it, it could it could go either way or it could be a draw, and, and they've been draws. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, Stephen uh, Wynn was unlucky. Stephen Wynn had a lovely shot that curled just wide, didn't he, towards the end? Yeah, absolutely. No, United. Uh, you know, there's there's no real issue with United with the terms of their of their effort and their commitment. Uh, I mean, thankfully not, because we'd been you know it'd be wrong if there were issues with it. But that they are thoroughly efficient and very competitive in defence. They're very competitive in midfield. And it's just in those moments, in and around the opposition penalty area, 
they quite, haven't quite been putting the chances away. And um, if they can just put that right, especially with one or two players coming back from injury, which Gary has alluded yeah. to, mm. um, uh, fingers crossed, you never know. I mean, at the moment, they are playing catch-up big time, aren't they? But we've all seen stranger and weirder things than teams putting a, a run together. Yeah. United have done it before last season. Yeah. Uh, and, and who knows? Guy, you've uh, had your school rule around, well, haven't you, this week? Well, I did, I did my homework, look. Because I, I <laughs> we talked about Gary's graph, didn't we? This mythical graph that we think Gary's got up in the porter cabin at Seal Hain, which is a straight line which gives you two points per game and where we are on it. So I thought, oh, I wonder if I can still do a graph. And here, look, that little bump there is where I went over my thumb, by the way. And I did it again <laughs> on that, so it's not perfect. I'd have probably had to do a detention for that. But, what but we have it, dropped behind the graph. I'll put, I'll put a picture of this one there. Go on. What does it show then, Guy? Well, it shows these each of these little dots is uh, uh, the points that we've got in that particular game. And we've just, with the run of four draws here, I should have a pointing stick really for this, <laughs> shouldn't I? The run of four draws, we've dropped behind the graph for the first time. Yeah. But it's nothing a couple of wins won't get us back to. Absolutely. So I mean, Gary's graph, we have actually created the very thing. Yeah, uh, it's a genius piece of artwork, Guy. There's a board rubber coming Thank in you your direction, much. Guy, as well, yeah. by the way. <laughs> That's the first time I've drawn a graph since about 1974, probably. <laughs> so, that's, and, and it shows, but, uh, but there we go. Um, we talked again, I mean, this, we, we talk about Clyde Lolos. We did that a couple of weeks ago. It was interesting, wasn't it, that when it came for the, the substitutions against Bromley, I was delighted to see Joe Felix get a game. Um, you know, I like Joe Felix. He's a wholehearted player and he got stuck in when he came on. But it was interesting that, that Gary's tactical thinking was not to bring another striker on because he had Lolos on the bench, but, but he brought Joe on. Um, and, you know, there was that point where the game was so finely poised that it was he wanted another midfield player on. Uh, I will say, uh, I mean, whether, whether bringing on Lolos or not was beside the point. I will say that at the end there, there was a moment when Joe was in a good position and needed to be strong to hold the ball up or even make himself an opportunity. And it was, it was a position where your, your Danny Wright might, would, would have flourished in. And, and, and Joe just didn't look strong enough to deal with the situation. So I think there's probably a little bit of work to do there. I mean, you, 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 yeah. you think he's going to be a player, don't you, Dave? Or, or, uh, or have, have you changed your mind? Uh, no, no, no. no. I, I, and I, I think sometimes when players like that come up from Villaricky, uh, part-time yeah. football... Uh, do you remember we played against a few weeks ago against, against Dagenham and Redbridge and they had a player in there called Junior Morias who scored a couple of goals yeah. for them recently he scored he scored in, in midweek for them and he was built like a little pocket battleship wasn't he yeah, I wonder what you were going to say uh, to, to coin a phrase uh, I, I wondered where that was going and, and, and uh, <laughs> we've seen him play for other teams a couple of times before and what has to happen if you're going to be that sort of build with full-time training and the sort of dedication and professionalism which is demanded to get on in the game these days, 
you have to turn yourself into that kind yeah. of player. Yeah. And we played against Dagenham and Redbridge a few weeks ago. We couldn't shift Marias off the ball. Yeah. People were bouncing off him. He's only about five foot seven, five foot eight. He's bit slightly bigger than than Joe Felix. And if Joe Felix, I mean, he's a, he's he's not a wimp by any stretch of the imagination. But if he can make himself even more robust, whatever word you want to call it, fill himself yeah. out put more muscle on, all those kind of things that players of his height have to do. You know, in other words, there are very few players, Unano Kane types, that can sort of flit and, and ease yeah. their way through games when you're built like Unano Kane. I mean, as he went on and after he left us, he did put weight on and he did, when I say weight, he put muscle on yeah. because you simply have to. Uh, if you're going to survive and make a career for yourself as a, as a in you know hopefully League Two and League One and you know make a decent living out of the game, you have to change the way you are yeah. as as a, as a person and a, and as a body sometimes, yeah. and um, and I think Joe Felix has got the potential to do it. And um, I was talking to Paul Hall, who of course <coughs> had him at Queen's Park Rangers before he sort of dropped out and went to Billericay, and he's he he rates him very highly, just as he rates Stephen Duke McKenna. Paul Hall, the ex-United winger. And I can remember when he left Plainmore and went to Portsmouth in about 1992, something, something like that, like yeah, that. Yeah. 92, 93, 90,000 quid to Portsmouth. About a year later, we were playing a pre-season game. Portsmouth didn't have a match and he came back to see us all, see his old mates. And he walked down in front of the old wooden grandstand and I didn't recognise him for a split mm -hmm. second. And I went... Paul, look at the state of you. What, they've been, what have they been feeding you on up there? And he said, Dave, after every training session, I'm in the gym. Because if you don't yeah. toughen up at the levels that he had gone to, they'll kick you into the middle of next week yeah. with a grin on their faces. And he turned himself <coughs> into you know, a far better physical specimen. And uh, Joe Felix will do it. He's got that kind of mentality. Um, and there's one or two other players in the United squad we'll, we'll, we'll start to think about next season in a few weeks, won't we? Yeah, who, who might be kept? Yeah. Who, who might be? I think Keelan O'Connell is another player. He's a talented lad who hasn't yet been able to turn himself into that kind of player. And we can probably come up with another couple of names if we think about them. But um, yeah. yeah, no, it's uh, interesting stuff, isn't it? All about development and yeah. improvement. I do like Joe Felix a lot, but I'm becoming a massive fan of Stephen Duke McKenna. You I and, like, you and like who's army guys? Oh, dude, what a player he's got. I mean, he's already a good player. He's just going to get better, isn't he? There were, I mean, when um, when he was when we when we learned that he was coming to QP, uh, coming from QPR, uh, we, I did look at some of the the fans forum, the QPR fans forum, for for, for a bit of bit about him, and uh, they love him up there. They were surprised that he's not even vying for a first team place this season. Some of them. Now I know that can be kind of like fans' rhetoric, and it's sometimes take it with a pinch of salt. But you know, if they uh, if they rate him that highly that they think that he should be on the verge of the first team, then uh, yeah, absolutely. And he's another one that probably could do with a bit more physical um, development, and that will happen. Um, according to QPR, mates up there, um, they're quite surprised that he's playing on the right wing for us because right. they think his best position is in the old number 10 role yeah. as an attacking midfielder. 
And yeah. I can see what they, I think we can all see what they yeah. mean. Uh, it's just that obviously United have other candidates in there at the moment. Conor Lemon Evans sort of plays there, Amani Little. Um, but that's where at QPR, they think Duke McKenna um, will end up. Yeah. Um, and don't, don't, don't get me wrong, he's doing a pretty good job on the right wing for us. Indeed. But of course, uh, Armani Little um, was injured on Saturday. We don't know the extent of that, and we won't until dead leg. Um, I think Saturday. So, yeah. Dead leg. Yeah. Okay. So you know he, he may well be fine again by uh, by Saturday, but you know maybe there's an opportunity. Let's have a think about Saturday then. Kingsley, the apostrophe is important, Richard, isn't it? Yes, it is. Get yeah, it right. I, I gathered that. I wrote it down wrong. Oh. <laughs> but this is. A, it's a bit like the difference between St James Park, Newcastle, and St James's Park at, 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 at the mob up the road. Isn't Absolutely, it? But, but then of course you know some some of these places don't come with apostrophes. Like Kings Langley hasn't got an apostrophe, so oh, how's now, that work? Right? Steady on, lads. Steady on. <laughs> Makes no sense. Um, we beat them two 0 at Playmore, October the twenty third. The two players who scored that day were Joe Lewis and Sinclair Armstrong. Okay. Um, I, I wrote Lewis Armstrong down there. I, I've got a tune in my head now. Um, <laughs> neither of whom will be playing on Saturday for various reasons. But this is this is a must-win game, isn't it? Kings Lynn are struggling. Well, I With think the best said, will in the world. Talk. You have to go and get something up there. I think you said it earlier on, Dave, didn't you? It's got yeah. After those four draws, a game against Kings Lynn yeah. and, and games against Weymouth. You know, those are the games that you've got to pick up the points from. Yes. Um, look. Kingsley managed to draw with Woking in midweek, didn't they? Yeah, they, they, yeah. they? They've made life very difficult for quite a lot of teams this season, especially uh, at the walks, but they're going to go down, uh, sadly, for them. Um, look, United, in a great run last season, went up there and couldn't beat them. It was nil-nil up there. Yeah. I think that was the game that Asa Hall was, was, yeah. was, set, was sent off, wasn't yeah. he? Um, that, my goodness, that was a harsh decision, I think, uh, <laughs> compared with the one for Lewis. Um, but, uh, you know, United have to find a way of winning these games, don't they? Uh, Wheelstone was yeah. a very similar type of fixture away from home. Look, it's not easy. Of course it isn't easy. But if United play and they pass the ball and they turn it on like they did in the first half at Wheelstone and stick a couple of chances away, there is absolutely no reason why they can't go to places like Kings Lynn and win, and they, sh they, they need to. They and need to. and yeah. if, you, if, if we had all the United squad sat around this table together, they'd be <coughs> nodding and saying, yeah, absolutely right. Kings Lynn, by the way, have got a young Hargreaves playing for them, haven't they? Chris, Chris Hargreaves' son um, uh, is playing for, uh, um, for, it used to be at Bristol Rovers. Yeah. I didn't know Cameron, that. Cameron Hargreaves, yeah. Um, he's, uh, Tommy Widrington, who's taken over at Kings Lynn, um, uh, was at Bristol Rovers uh, for many years as assistant and various other football guises, and he's taken over as manager of Kings Lynn, and Cameron Hargreaves is uh, turning out for the limits. Of course, um, Tommy Widrington is now more famous for being the dad of a dancer, isn't he? Oh, didn't know that. <laughs> Didn't you? Didn't you? You, you see, neither of you watched Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> His son is a, a dancer on Strictly Come Dancing. Why are we both busy when that goes <laughs> on? Go on. It's a. I, I, I live in a, a household with two ladies. It's it's difficult to escape. <laughs> I hadn't realised that Cameron was at Kings Lynn. That's 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 good. It's good that he's um you know he's getting on in the game. 
doesn't seem all that long ago we were putting videos up on uh, on our website of him doing keepy up he's in the back garden when chris used to do his, <laughs> uh, his little video blog for us and chris of so, course who, who left answer. left bristol rovers after six years at bristol rovers in various coaching guises and head of their academy um left bristol rovers he's now pursuing a couple of uh, managerial jobs, very keen to get back into management. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Chris yeah. Hargreaves back, obviously ex-manager of United, ex-captain. Um, I think we all felt that he had was given a bit of a difficult job, not tough quite a, t- yeah. a tough a tough job at Plainmore, um, uh, and is is very keen to get back into management and I know he's yeah. been in for a couple of jobs over the last fortnight or so. He, he was the manager when I when I came back from London to uh, take the job at the Herald and um, always very polite, very very straightforward wasn't he? Very easy to deal with. Well as from the first moment we met him when he came as a player he was an inspirational character yeah. wasn't he as a player and he took that into management and uh, I mean we won't dwell on this too long because we have other stuff to talk yeah. about but but I remember those first few games when he took over from Alan Nil um, and pulled off. We won at Portsmouth, do you remember? Um, 1-0 yeah. with a Billy Bowding goal, won at Wimbledon. And suddenly it looked as if this inspirational character who'd captained the club had come back to do a similar job as manager. Uh, and then uh, I, I think the money was suddenly got a bit tighter than he had been <laughs> promised or indicated, which was mm. a, a frustration for him because he had to go out and get a lot of very young loan signings in. But there was also a crucial home game against Northampton, who were in the SHIT with us, and it was postponed. Is that a league, Dave? <laughs> it was postponed, <laughs> and by the time Southampton's uh, international tournament. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 the game was postponed. We were really on a bit of a roll. They were in big trouble, and by the time the game was was replayed, Chris Wilder had gone in as manager, I think, yeah. um, and they ended up coming down to play more and beating us one yeah. nil. Uh, and who knows if that game had gone ahead. And United had won that. I think that would have been like three or four wins on the trot. And history, we we might be in a very different place Absolutely, than we are now. Yeah. But uh, hey ho, life's just full of ifs and buts, isn't it? It is. Now, before we move on to talk about Franco Farrell, I have one great stat to give you, which actually came from uh, from the Guardian, um, the Guardian's fiver, I think, courtesy of Gary Lane, who's over in Australia, who's a regular listener to the podcast. The question was asked on the um, the Guardian's blog what the biggest away following at a ground uh, had ever been. And Torquay figure in this. Torquay produced a 98.1% of the crowd <laughs> at an away fixture. Which and it was, was it? Truro City versus yeah. Torquay um, in National League South, New Year's Day 2019. It was Truro's home fixture, yeah. of course. The crowd was 2,812 of whom 52, 52 were home fans. Of course, they were the, in the... Uh, the uh, remaining 2,760 2, were uh, were talkie fans, away fans. So there's a place in a pub quiz for us forevermore. 98.1% of the ground, away fans. Thank you, Gary, for that one. That, that was a difficult season for Truro, wasn't it? They, they, they went down at the end of that season. Uh, they were playing... Almost yeah. 100 miles away from their home. Uh, they're not much closer now because they play at Plymouth Parkway in the Southern League. But uh, they're, 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 I, I deal with Paul Watton, who's the manager there now, quite a bit. And yeah. I think he's, he's going to be a decent manager. He's, 
he started just before the, the pandemic, so he had two seasons where, you know, he really couldn't prove anything. Um, but they're, they're on the verge of the playoffs again and uh, on the edge of the playoffs, and I think they'll be all right. By the way, when we're talking about away attendance, just to round off away attendances, um, did anybody see the amount of Boreham Wood fans that made it to Wrexham on Tuesday night for that? I think it was 21. Was it? <clears throat> 21. Stick on the list. Of course, there many more had gone to Everton in the FA Cup last week. And uh, 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 let's have a, a round of applause for how well Boreham Wood played throughout <laughs> yeah. that cup run and also against Everton. They made life very pretty tough for them, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. But, a couple of weeks later, back at the racecourse ground on a Tuesday night, 21 Boreham Wood fans. So well done to them. Yeah, yeah hats off to the 21. Absolutely. Well hats off to the 21. And our, um, our podcasting colleague, Charlie Baker, got himself into hot water this week by tweeting something about that, which didn't, uh, didn't go down very well with the Boreham Wood fans. But oh uh, hey... 21 fans, as you say, fair play to the 21, but it would be nice if some of that uh, following that went to Goodison, um, you know, would uh, would follow them away a yeah. little bit more often. Absolutely. I'm sure they'd like that. Um, Frank O'Farrell, Dave, I mean, a, a giant of Torquay United history, uh, a giant for West Ham as well, but um, he's died this week at the age of 94. Dave, you knew Frank quite well, didn't you? It's, you know, this is very much the end of an era, isn't it? All those phrases come to mind, Guy. Um, an extraordinary manager. Uh, we can debate down through the years who was the greatest manager of Torquay United's history, and those debates are more fun than actually coming to a decision about it, aren't they? <laughs> um, uh, but not only a great manager, but a great man, and anybody who knew him at all well will confirm that. And I, and I think it's interesting at a time when uh, our old friend Colin Lewis, a cyclist, died recently as well, that men like that, I mean, Frank was born in 1928. Um, Colin Lewis was born in a Welsh mining village being bombed by Germans um, uh, uh, in the Second World War. And they, the word that springs to mind over both, the, both of them, but particularly Frank, is tough. Um, they came from a time when there wasn't too much arm round the shoulder um, mm -hmm. uh, when things were going wrong. You either did or you didn't. You manned up or you didn't man up. Um, uh, the world has changed now uh, uh, and things are a bit different, but you have to factor in how they were men of their time. Uh, uh, and Frank, yeah. was, Frank shoveled coal on a railway footplate at 16 years old on the Cork to Dublin line. And he always said that after that, he said nothing ever seemed very difficult after that. His dad was a train driver um, and he always wanted yeah. to be a train driver, just like his dad. But he was very good at football and, and also Gaelic football. Um, and West Ham eventually signed him um, as a young, uh, I think he was about 19 when he went to West Ham. Um, played hundreds of games for West Ham. Uh, was there a long time, uh, by the way. Uh, it, yeah. took, it took him three years to get into the first team at West Ham, uh, and went to. Uh, and he was when he died. By the way, he was the oldest surviving West Ham player. Um, uh, and before he went to Preston, he he joined the group that used to go after training to Casatari's Cafe opposite the old Berlin ground. Um, with people like uh, Dave Sexton, uh, uh, Malcolm Allison, Noel Cantwell, Ron Greenwood, and they used to 
discuss tactics and how they felt the game should be played. And that was the format, that was the, 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 the start of a group of men who went on to become great coaches and managers down the years. Harry Redknapp uh, was a very young West Ham player at the time. Uh, John Lyle as well, who managed them. There's some names there, David. Yeah, well, and, and, and the, you know, the apocryphal tales of them moving pepper pots and salt pots <laughs> around, the t- around the table when they felt... And when he eventually left Preston North End, where, where he'd moved to, and, and he managed Weymouth for three years, when he moved to Weymouth, he was on £25 a week as player manager of Weymouth, which was a £5 increase than what he'd been on at Preston in the first division. A £5 a week increase. <laughs> Makes you think, doesn't it? Um, very successful at Weymouth. And then he came to, to Torquay United in 1965 with a young, ambitious chairman in Tony Boyce. And it wasn't a very popular decision at the time. This rather dour focused Irishman replacing Eric Webber, the hugely popular, uh, your favourite uncle uh, um, manager. Who'd been there for for nearly 15 years. Had his team had just drawn with Spurs in the FA Cup six months before. And then Tony Boyce had got rid of him, which was a very controversial decision. Um, And Frank's methods were completely different. It's interesting that the two men at the time that spring to my mind, as Sir Alf Ramsey was about to win the World Cup with England and Frank O'Farrell, they were very much of the same rather dour, yeah. although they weren't behind the scenes. Frank was a delightful and very entertaining character, um, but, but could appear quite dour. And the team was yeah. all important. The individuals, that they, they could never get their heads around one player being better or more famous or being allowed more leeway than anybody else. And, um, and Frank took over at Playmore. The football wasn't as entertaining as it had been under, under Eric Weber, um, you know, with Robin Stubbs and Tommy Northcott scoring 40 goals a season between them and all that sort of stuff. But hey-ho, they won, <laughs> they won most weeks. Yeah. Um, and I know for a while it, it, it was a little bit difficult behind the scenes, but Tony Boyce backed Frank O'Farrell big time. And look what happened. Promotion in his first season, yeah. two years at the top of what's now League One, Gates double to 10,000, very heady days. I I started watching United in 1964-65 and then um, became a cub reporter on the the old Torquay Times weekly paper. Um, and uh, it, it was yeah. it was very exciting. It was the swinging sixties in in Torquay. What 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 was not to like? And um, he produced a whole succession of wonderful teams with some help. And he went back to West Ham to sign players like John Bond. Carry on, posters here. Ken Brown, uh, Bill Kitchener, uh, players who who were just huge figures. Uh, 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 yeah. But the the game was different in those days. When I say the game, the, yeah. the, the culture of the game was different. That If you think that United signed Ken Brown as a centre-half from West Ham and only two years earlier he had played for West Ham in, the European, in the, a winning West Ham European Cup Winners' Cup team. I mean, the European Cup Winners' Cup is sort of similar to the Europa League now or the Europa Cup, whatever you want to call it now. You know, but the gap in wages was that much narrower. So United and, and many other teams, everybody said, oh, weren't they lucky to do that? But then, of course, everybody else was at it as well. Um, but United yeah. managed to pick up quite a few of those wonderful players who and, and the effect you could see out on the pitch. 
Well, one thing, I only met Frank a handful of times, Dave, but I, all, I was always struck with... On, first of all, how what a gentleman he was to deal with, you know, you know, he would always find time and would always answer questions and, and you know make things easy for us as reporters. But behind that, he was very, very strong, very determined, very focused. Um, he was quite steely behind the uh, the very gentlemanly exterior, Dave, wasn't he? He certainly was. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a man who was a devout Catholic all his life. Um, uh, <laughs> there was one stopover. Uh, United played two successive away games uh, in that first promotion season, and I think they stopped over for two or three nights. And the lads were allowed to um, have maybe one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure. There may even have been a full curfew on. But the goalkeeper Gary Maguire, who is a very outgoing character, is a wonderful goalkeeper, mind you. Um, went out and met a few mates uh, on uh, uh, on the first night. So United weren't playing the next day. They were playing two days later. Um, and uh, a couple of other players covered for him back at the team hotel. And he, he returned to the team hotel at half past six in the morning thinking, well, that'll be all right. I'll just nip up to my room and nobody will be any the wiser. And he met Frank O'Farrell coming out of the hotel at half past six in the morning on his way to early morning mass. <laughs> and and that, that was the kind of character you were dealing with. I remember the very first time as a, as a young reporter being invited onto the team coach for a League Cup tie at, at um, Bournemouth. Uh, and the team, we, went, we went along and uh, Keith Perry, my old colleague from the Herald Express, said, Dave, look, when we stop for a meal, pre-match meal, whatever you do, don't have a meal before the players. So I got it in my head, right, OK. Kept, got into a cafe near Dorchester, and the scrambled eggs and the baked beans on toast started arriving and I looked down the table and the waitress brought one to me and I said, no, 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 and I took it to one of the players and put it down and I kept checking and checking and checking that the players had got their meals. Finally looked down the table, they'd all got their meals and I was about to put my knife and fork into my scrambled egg and Frank marched round the back of me, whipped it from under me, glared at me and said, players first at this club and I looked down and John Bond or John Benson had been to the loo and hadn't come back, hadn't come back yet and they'd just sat down and I, I can remember at 19 I was, I was almost shaking you know with with, with, with uh, and United lost 2-1 and not a word was spoken from Bournemouth until about Bridport not a word on the coach and we all sat there it was complete silence and Ronnie Barnes, the winger, who our older listeners will remember, who was as entertaining off the pitch as he was on it, he was from Bolton. He couldn't contain himself any longer by the time we got to Bridport. And he marched to the front of the coach, picked up the little microphone that used to be at the front of the coach, and said, stuck us up against wall and all over us. <laughs> Put it down and walked to the back of the coach and it sort of broke the ice and Frank turned around and glared at him as he walked, as he walked to the back of the coach. No, he, he could be a pretty scary character when, uh, uh, when his dander was up. You, um, you, you did have some good conversations with Frank in recent years, Dave. I remember you'd give him a call every now and again or he would, he would even give you a call at the office and, uh, and talk about you know the Paul Buckle team and the and the Chris Hargreaves team, and he he did keep his keep an interest in in the team. Didn't he, he followed United when he came back. Obviously, he went on to become manager of Leicester City and mm -hmm. Man United, which would be well documented. And and the very bad experience he had at Man United when he thought he was being brought in to 
remodel and rebuild that team which had got very old and it turned out he always described it as death by a thousand cuts well you, you um, said earlier on that he he, he wasn't he wasn't about individuals he was about a team and of course he had some individuals there telling me yeah. uh, by, by George Best not amongst them he never had any argument with George really? Best he hardly knew where he was most yeah, of the time know, but, yeah, but yeah. come three o'clock on a Saturday it's, afternoon uh, George Best would play for your life you yeah, know yeah. Uh, he famously brought, dropped Bobby Charlton once which was uh, you know sacrilege at Old Trafford yeah. Um, but they got relegated 18 months after, after they sacked him, so uh, he wasn't wrong, was he? No. Um, and uh, he went on to become manager of Cardiff, Iran, and then he, uh, Iran, and then he came back to Torquay, and he happily, from our, all our point of view, he stayed in Torquay for the rest of his mm. life um, in various managerial roles at Plainmore, um, helped to bring Bruce Rioch to the club. My mm. goodness, Bruce Rioch had captain Scotland in the World Cup <coughs> finals only 18 months before he came to Plainmore. Incredible. That kind of a clout that he had... Um, but uh, no, I used to go and see him at his nursing home in, in uh, the Warburys in Torquay over the last few years. Very sadly, COVID interrupted that. Yeah. And on a Saturday morning before a home game, I used to go in and we used to, I used to take some programmes in and, and we used to reminisce and talk together about that. And the one thing you always wanted to know was, are the gates, how are the gates? How are the mm -hmm. attendances? And that was his managerial hat on thinking, yeah. you know, is there enough money coming in? Uh, th that's what he was. He was always very concerned about the attendances and whether enough fans were coming along to the game. Um, but uh, very sadly, COVID got in the way of those little sessions. And, um, uh, you know, I hadn't seen him for a, for a little while, like a lot of other people in that in those situations. But um, no, a, a really, really extraordinary man. And all, everybody who knew him is all the sadder for that you know we, we all feel you said end of an era guy and obviously you know there isn't a better phrase than that to sum it up of course talking have a gate a home game against weymouth coming up mm. um in a couple of weeks time don't they that i mean obviously given frank's connections with weymouth that would be a, a fitting game to to do something to celebrate the life of franco farrell i imagine the club have already got that in hand Yes, of course, they play Aldershot on the Tuesday night before that, don't they? So, uh, but I think that's yeah. a, that, that'll be a, you, you raise a good point there, Guy. Um, uh, we're still awaiting the details of when Frank's funeral is. Um, uh, by the way, in later life, he threw himself into an extraordinary round of charity and stuff. He did all sorts of pilgrimages to places like Lourdes. Uh, you know, even as an old man, he he never stopped, yeah. if you know what I mean, yeah. until until you know infirmity really really slowed him down. Um, but uh, yes, I mean you raise a good point there. That would be a very uh, I mean everybody will be talking about him at the Aldershot match, but um, certainly the older supporters. But yeah, you raise a good point. That Weymouth game, considering that he he uh, would be ideal. Absolutely, he won Weymouth their very first Southern League Championship back in the days when the Southern League was the strongest league outside the football league. I think he took them to the fourth round of the FA and, Cup. Uh, yeah. he, he took them to the fourth yeah. round of the FA Cup, where they lost to yeah. Preston, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, you raise a good point there. Weymouth would be a very, uh, and on a Saturday afternoon as well, yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be a very good game um, for United. And I'm sure they're thinking about, about that sort of thing uh, probably as we speak. It would. So we look ahead to uh, look ahead to the Kings Lynn game on Saturday. Then um, then there's a Hall away at Halifax the following week. Talking are away for a little while, aren't they now, before the Aldershot game on the following Tuesday, so we won't get the chance to see them at Plainmore for a, a week or so. 
but we will be back. There'll, there'll be a podcast next week. I'm not sure whether I'll be with you, Rich. I'll have to keep you posted on that. No, we'll, so, um, well, you we'll, may we'll, have we'll to work that out. We'll work that out as we go along. But uh, I'll certainly be there for the Aldershot game. So uh, one way or another, we'll manage to work that one out. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Dave, for sitting in as ever. It's been good to hear your reminiscences on Frank. Wouldn't have missed it, Guy. Uh, I think we all, everybody who knew him is feeling a sense of loss at the moment. Absolutely. He outlived us um, all, let's face thanks it. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, been good to have you on the Yellow Army podcast this week. And let's try and do it in a three-part harmony again, shall we? Even though I'm a half a second behind you or in front of you or whatever. It's interesting. As ever, we finish It's interesting with... the way this works. Come on, you <laughs> You see, he can't Never hear works. us. So it's interesting the way it works. We'll do it again. Um, Guy will think we're out of time with him, but we'll be in perfect time with him. So you count down, Guy. Three, two, one. Come, Come on, on, you, you yellows. yellows.